Good morning and welcome to another edition of Five Alive. We're so glad to have you participating with us today. Today we're going to talk about obedience and what does obedience look like. So have you ever heard somebody say or have you ever yourself said these words or something similar? I already told you. Have you ever heard that before? Yes. Have you ever said that before? Yesterday. <laughs> okay, yesterday. Um, I shouldn't need to ask you to do this more than once. Yes. Do I sound like a dad when I say it like that? Yeah. <laughs> have you ever heard somebody say that? I shouldn't have to ask you to do this more than once. Yes. Have you ever said it before? Yes. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Why didn't you do it when I asked you to? Have you ever heard that? Yes. Have you ever said that? Yes. Please do as I ask. Have you ever heard that one before? Yeah. Yes. Have you ever said that one before? Yes. No. yes. Oh, no. So what do you think of when I say the word, after those questions, what do you think of when I say the word obey? Your father and mother. Okay. Obey your father and mother. Good. To listen and heed to the advice or what has been spoken to you and then do it okay put it into practice sure to listen which is right somebody's saying okay what does obedience look like then trying your best you can to the best of your ability to follow the rules and things that have been set in front of you to follow okay what does obedience look like in action xavier said following the best, the rules that are put before you. So like when we're driving down the road, the little circle says 60 kilometers an hour, I am supposed to go 60 kilometers an hour or less, right? Mm -hmm. I see the new law that has changed here in India that requires everybody to wear a mask when in the car, even if you are a Kayla, if you're alone, you are still supposed to wear a mask. That's what the law is right now. So what do we do? What do I do when I'm out by myself? I wear my mask because otherwise I get a 2,000 rupee chalan, a ticket for 2,000 rupees. So obedience looks like that. How does obedience look in the household? Following the rules that we've grown up with and obeying them and continuing to do them is how obedience works in the home. So I, I ask that for a reason I'm sure. because some people think that there is a certain age that you're supposed to start setting house rules. And so from what you know, Xavier, from what you know, Mallory, from what you know, Aisha, when did we start house rules with you guys? Since we were born? Yeah. Or when you came to live with us, right? Even when Addison was first born, mommy and I started setting up rules, laws, if you will, or a specific type of lifestyle that we wanted to live throughout the rest of our lives. Right, Blair? Yes. It wasn't like... We lived one way for four or five years. Addison's five years old. She says something in the house and we're like, oh no, we need to change the way we're doing things. Instead, it was we started setting things up and do things. Have we been flexible with some of our rules? Absolutely. And yes, we've changed some things. Yet, at the same time, we wanted to make sure that we raised you guys to know exactly who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. Not according to us, but according to yourselves and what he commands. And so that was one of the biggest ways for us that obedience uh, looks. That's why Mallory immediately said, when I said, what do you think of when I say obey? You said, your mom and dad, because we used to sing that song, right? When you were little, O-B-E-Y, obey your mom and dad. 
O-B-E-Y. It makes us very glad. So let me ask you a couple more questions. Is there a set number of times that somebody should ask you to do something before you are directly disobedient? No. no. So somebody could ask you three or four or five or six times, and as long as you eventually do the thing, then you're still obedient, right? Right. Yes. Have you ever noticed that people, I mean, even in my examples earlier of, I shouldn't have to ask you to do this more than once, that we as human beings really try hard to get somebody to do it our first time, the first time, or, hey, why didn't you listen to me? I already told you this. I, Matt Rolands, I do this too, where I'm like, hey, I told you this already, Xavier. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you forgot. I just did it to Mallory this morning. She came out and she asked, what are you doing? Because I was baking a cake for an order, and I was like... I was doing this yesterday. What in the world? Why are you asking me the same question whenever I'm just finishing up icing the cake today so that that way I can deliver it? Why are you asking me that? Do you not love me? Because you're asking, right? So we, we think that way. Is that the way God looks at it? Can one verbally disobey and yet inwardly obey and even do what has been asked? Yes. It's a parable Jesus told during his ministry, and it was about a father went and asked his oldest son to go work in the field and he said i'm sorry dad i can't do that right now and so i won't be able to do that today so he went to his other son and he said son will you go and work on the field and the son said yeah i'll do it but the son that said he would do it didn't do it but the son that said he didn't have the time realized wait i should probably do what my father asked and he went and worked the field correct so who has the ability to request a task from you that is known to be, if you don't do this, you're insubordinate. If you do it, you're obedient. Who has that authority over you to say, you have to obey me? Who in your life? Go ahead. God and my parents. Your parents? And no one else. <laughs> Except for my teachers. And? I don't know. People who are watching me whenever you guys aren't home. Okay. Does an elder within our community have the right to say something to you and then you obey? Yeah. An uncle or an auntie? Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) Anybody else? If you're in a job, your boss has the right to say, hey, you're not doing this right. You need to work on this in your Mm -hmm. work. Absolutely. Anyone else? The law? (laughs) Yes. Which is also known as? Police. Yeah. Police officers, law enforcement. What about politicians? Don't they make laws to regulate the land? Like the whole reason I was talking a little bit earlier of why the the mask law of an individual riding in a car by themselves has to wear a mask is because that was something that was passed by our politicians Mm -hmm. and it is then enforced by the police officers, right? So we have to obey those laws and so politicians make those laws for us. What about if you live in a nation that there's a king, a monarch, or a queen? You have to listen to the monarch in charge. Yeah, absolutely. What about your nani or nana? What about your grandparents? You have to listen to them. (laughs) You have to listen to them. (laughs) And if you're, even sometimes, if you're with your uncle and aunt, auntie, auntie, uncle, if you're staying with them, you also have to listen to their rules and what they believe is the right way to do. Yeah. In, in a democracy, we have a president or uh, some democracies have a prime minister, so they have authority to enforce laws as well. So we need to listen to them. So these are people that uh, our authority goes to. What about in the chain of command at work? You have a boss, but what about you have a team leader, right? 
do you have a team leader at work? Yes. Yeah. So we have team leaders, but then we also have a boss. So we have to not just obey the boss, we have to obey the team leader. And in the order of, we first go to the team leader. We don't go over the team leader to the boss first. We go to the team leader and we discuss a problem or a situation. And then if that's not resolved, we go to the next part. And if that's not resolved with that group of people, then it keeps on going up the, the chain of command. The boss isn't the first person we go to uh, in those kinds of situations. Of this list of people that we just made, that we are subject to, who is the most gracious? God. Yeah, I fully think God is the most gracious with us. But yet I feel like at the same time, there are a lot of people out there that feel like God is just waiting to hurt them for something that they do wrong. Like they walk around fearful. People sleep at night with their lights on in their house because they're afraid that God is going to come and hurt them. And yet what we just described is we described a list of people that are in, our, in and out of our lives every single day. And Xavier's immediate reaction when I say who's the most gracious is God. Now, when he's talking about God, which God are you talking about, Xavier? Well, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, Jehovah. Sure. I mean, because this is an important distinction for us because... In Greek mythology, as well as Hindu mythology, as well as in Buddhism, etc., etc., we have different small demigods, mini-gods, gods that aren't the supreme authority. They are not the creator. And do we have a right to be scared of those gods? Those really what they are is demons. Do we have the right to be scared of them? No. no. But yes and no. Yeah. Okay, why yes and no? Because in Scripture... If we do follow God, it says God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. And he's also given this power over the devil and his demons, and therefore we should not be afraid. Right. But if we don't know the one true God... Then yes, we have the right to be afraid. Then we have the right to be afraid. Right. Yes and no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Great answer. Even our family, they sacrifice the things like mm. gold or hands because yeah. they're afraid with the, their God. Like if we don't, don't, don't give this... So that's why it's happening wrong with us and they can mm -hmm. harm us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we used to do that. I'm not, but right, know, right. when I was at home, when yeah. I was a believer of Hinduism. So right. Yeah. Hindu's God. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember even several of my dear friends and neighbors uh, throughout the years that still are Hindu to this time, even that the difficulty for them is, is say they have a bunch of frogs come up in their sink mm -hmm. and in their bathroom and in their toilets and everything. And they think, oh, this is a plague from God. So then they go and make a sacrifice, like you're saying, in order to try and rid out this um, these frogs, if you will, because what goes after frogs? Snakes. snakes. And so then you have snakes in your house and then, oh, well, God must be cursing me because I have done something wrong. So they try and do a puja a prayer or what have you in order to change their fortune if you will so as parents this is for you blair what is the main reason you ask our children to do something because i need help okay absolutely the main reason you ask is because you need help and the other thing that i thought of because that's exactly what i wrote down in my notes is the other thing that i thought of was uh sometimes we're trying to teach responsibility for the future so we say, I need you to do this because we're trying to help you to prepare for what's going to happen in the future. As children, teenager, new teenager, Mallory, middle schooler, high schooler, once you were a young lady, 
that was smaller and plus two and younger. What was the main reason that you would be disobedient to something your parents would ask you to do? Main reason? Yeah, what's the main reason? Like why, if we ask you to do something, why does it get done? Like what's the main reason it does not get done? We don't want to do it. <laughs> okay. I think that is more important for me, not my what my parents or uncle is saying. So I want to go with that only. Huh? So that is, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah, remember. Yeah. Sure. All right. So in terms of feeling guilty or being guilty of something, if I delay a request that has been asked by my parents, is it the guilt that eventually leads me to do what they asked? Or is it because I love my parents? It can be both. Yeah. It, it just depends on what time it is, like what task it is. Yeah. Is if, Have I been putting it off for so long that guilt has made me do it? Or is it that I love my parents so much right now? Like they just asked me two days ago and I still need to do it, but I want to please my parents. So then you do it. So like mm -hmm. it just, it depends on which time it is. Yeah. It, it, should there be a level of punishment? Like if we were to say on a scale of one to 10, 10 being, uh, you deserve to, um, be murdered for disobedience and number one being like you just need to be coming come to us and say hey i'm sorry i did this and, and then we forgive you if you delay a request of your parents where where would it fall on the scale of punishment where should it or yeah where where, where should it oh number one number one but sometimes the guilt that lies within us we feel like it's a number 10 don't we yeah i mean i i feel that way sometimes even Go ahead. Sometimes whenever you guys ask me to do something, I usually forget about it. So I just come back up to you and be like, hey, what was that thing that you asked me to do again? Because I totally forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're always like, I believe that. <laughs> if I say no, but in the end I'm obedient, like we talked about earlier, how guilty should I feel or what should the level of punishment be there that I inflict upon myself? I don't think there should be any because you inevitably did it. You got the job done. You did the task. But it seems like so often I run into people that they were asked to do something. They delayed in doing it. They eventually did it and they still feel guilty. Why do you think that is? Because they feel bad for making you wait or just the time it took them to get over their uh, own selfishness okay. to do those tasks. Is it the demand of the person that asked them to feel guilty? No. Is it that they're a really bad person because it took them so long to do the task that they're guilty? No. So I'm bringing this up because I want us to recognize the fact that we've got to stop beating ourselves up for our ultimate obedience. Because sometimes we reflect on our lives and we all of a sudden start saying, oh my goodness, I did this late, or I did this wrong, or I did this whatever. And it's like, oh my goodness, I'm, so, I'm such a bad person. But we're not. We've got to, not only when we make a mistake do we need to forgive, somebody makes a mistake towards us, do we need to forgive them? But we also have to forgive ourselves. We've got to live a life of total forgiveness uh, there's, there's a book, wonderful book, written by a man named R.T. Kendall, wonderful pastor. It's called Total Forgiveness, and he talks about this. It's important for us to forgive others, but it's also important that we forgive ourselves. This is vital for us. Another question, if I say yes to a request from somebody and yet I'm disobedient, 
how guilty am I and what should the level of punishment be? Should it be death, number 10, or should it be one, I go to the person and ask for forgiveness? It should still be one. Yeah. I mean, this is important for us to recognize because sometimes we beat ourselves up and say, oh, I never did that. And so therefore, I'm a really horrible, bad person. And we say, I deserve punishment. And so we start acting out on that, doing things that we know are inevitably wrong because we already feel guilty about this one thing that we missed out on or we did wrong. And so we keep on making it worse for ourselves and for others, don't we? Mm -hmm. So far in the book of John, we're going to go to the book of John, the 21st chapter. We have seen Jesus teach the disciples. He has said in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will obey me. Jesus called them as disciples. He said, hey, come and follow me. And they did. They were obedient in that. Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs and told them to proclaim the kingdom of God, and they did it. And they didn't hardly have anything. They like took their belt, their tunic, and a little bit of money, and they were to totally dependent on other people to provide for them. And Jesus was teaching them in that moment. Jesus also taught them a couple of other things like being ready at all times. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 31. But do you think there was a man who had two sons? He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will serve. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Wonderful. Jesus then suffers a horrific death on the cross. The disciples are scared. Jesus raised from the dead, then appears to Mary, and then Jesus in resurrected form twice appears to the disciples. And when he appears to the disciples, he gives them a command. The first time he says, I am sending you out as the Father sent me to this world. Go. And the second time when he appeared that we talked about last week with Thomas, he said, blessed are you because you have believed and blessed are those who have not yet, who have not seen and yet believe. And he is referring to the fact that he is the Messiah and that the disciples are to then go out and proclaim Jesus as Lord. Yet at the opening of our passage of scripture today, Peter and a few of the disciples reaction to Jesus commanding them, telling them to go is instead to go fishing. John chapter 21, 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it in bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. This is the reading of God's word. Did you see God's wrath poured out on the disciples in this passage of scripture? No. Did you see him throwing lightning bolts at them for their disobedience? No. No. Did you see him going, oh my goodness, I gave you a command and you guys can't listen to anything. I can't believe I have to go through this with you again. No. no. Did he say, I told you once, I've told you twice. Shame on me for trusting you, right? Isn't that the, the there's a saying in English that says, uh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Is that what Jesus says? No. No, he doesn't say any of those things. Instead, he operates in total forgiveness and he operates with this thing called grace. He has amazing grace towards his disciples. Who has Titus chapter 2, 11 through 15? Mallory. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our salvation, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despair thee. Thank you so much, Mallory. You're welcome. Next, we're going to read about God's grace in the book of Ephesians. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humanity and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we 
also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I think that one's so encouraging, as all of these are, but just to think about the hope that we're given when we persevere and not given shame from God. We're given hope. We're given character. We're given love. Absolutely gorgeous. And last is Hebrews chapter 12. Absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know. You look gorgeous today. And God's grace for me is even more stunning than that. Yeah. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, 12 through 15. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. God's grace is calling us to a higher place than self-loathing, self-pity, self-sorrow especially when it comes to those moments of obedience versus disobedience. He is calling us to him because he cares for us. Just like the disciples on this day, he had given them a command. They went out fishing. And what does he do as a result of them being disobedient to his command? Does he chastise them? No. In fact, instead, he gives them something else to do. He says, hey, have you guys caught anything? They say, no, no. They don't know who they're talking to. They say, no. And he says, how about you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? Throw our nets on the other. We've been fishing all night. Throw our nets on the other side of the boat. I can't believe he's asking. Whoever that guy is on the shore. What a crazy guy. I can't believe he would be asking us to. Isn't that the way we talk sometimes? Yeah. I can't believe you would be asking us to do that. Oh my goodness. And they throw their net over and all of a sudden the net is completely full of fish. So many fish that John tells us the number to be 153. I mean, that's how impressed John is, is he's like, I'm going to document that there were 153 fish in that net. And not only that, they were big jokers. They were big old fish. And not only that, our nets didn't tear. Our nets didn't rip. Our nets were completely fine. I mean, John is so blown away by God's grace in this moment. As Jesus said, cast your net on the other side. And they obeyed. And then Jesus does this. Peter jumps out of the boat, swims out. The rest of the guys pull the fish into shore. They come up to, it's Jesus. We know it's Jesus. Oh my goodness, this is so awesome. He was dead a couple of days ago and here he is alive and he's on the beach. And what is Jesus doing? He's cooking breakfast for all those people out there that think that that's something that a servant does here the king of all kings is cooking breakfast for his disciples then he says hey get some of those fish over here we'll keep on cooking them and he cooks them up and they have breakfast together they wouldn't have been able to do that had they not been obedient to throw their nets on the other side and jesus isn't upset at them he understands why because that's what's so important about who Jesus is to us today. 
2021 is Jesus knows me. He knows everything about me. He knows what I do when I go into my bedroom by myself. He knows what I do when I go down the street. He knows what I'm thinking as I'm driving down the road and I get aggravated at the traffic. He knows me and he understands me and he helps me and he loves me. And it's his ultimate desire that I obey him. The main reason I never answered this, I asked Xavier and Mallory too, and Aisha even, when they were younger, the main reason as a child or even as a teenager that I disobeyed was similar to that of what Aisha mentioned. And it was also another one that Mallory mentioned. I was so self-absorbed as a teenager and as a child. I was so self-consumed that, number one, if my parents asked me to do something, I wouldn't have heard them in the first place because I was too busy with what I wanted to do. And number two, I would forget because my needs were more important than whatever my parents were asking me to do. However, the response that came out whenever my parents said, why didn't you do this? Or we asked you to get this done. Or the teacher said, this was your assignment. Why didn't you complete it? My answer would always be just two words. I forgot. I forgot. It became my anthem, if you will. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think I hear it very often from other people, not my children, because my children were wonderful, but I've heard it so often from so many other people. I forgot. So as we read this passage of scripture of what Jesus did as he's being calling his disciples in love and obedience and continuing to put their feet on the path of which God sent Jesus from heaven to earth. And so he is then sending his disciples out. Jesus is coming to the disciples exactly where they're at, exactly as they are. And I want to take this moment to reflect in my life and ask this personal question to myself. Am I still behaving like a child or a teenager as an adult? Am I still so self-absorbed that I don't even listen to God? I don't even take the time to read the Bible. I don't even take the time to pray. Am I so self-consumed that I refuse to obey God out of love for only myself? Do I forget who God really is or how marvelous his grace is for me? Because I want what I want and I want it now. If that is who you are today, the good news is, is that God's not looking at you to destroy you in this moment or to beat you up because you're so guilty. He desires to love you. Jesus is patient. He's patient wanting all of us to come to him. However, we cannot allow his patience to be exhausted because our time on this earth is short. It's very short. Is there anything in this else in this passage of scripture that the Lord has spoken to you? Every time I read this passage, I always found it funny that like John makes sure to mention that Peter was naked while he was on the boat. And Peter was stripped, so he had to put his garment on, and then he jumped into the water to go see Jesus, because he wasn't he wasn't ready to see Jesus yet. He had to he had to put his clothes back on. Hey, I'm naked. I gotta go see Jesus, I gotta put my clothes on. I mean, well, you know, I was thinking about using that as an example today of the way we think that we have to dress ourselves up in order to be in front of the Lord or how we feel like we have to. And yet Jesus saw him in his nakedness when he was on the boat. 
And it wasn't like Jesus was like, hey, put your clothes on before you throw that net overboard and catch the fish. Jesus gave them a command. They did it. And Jesus isn't like, and put your clothes on. Sure. I still think it's funny whenever it's like John's like, and the one whom he loved, which is me, by the way, (laughs) and Peter was naked. There you go. I was loved and Peter was naked. Well, I mean, that's just how real the Bible is. That's the beauty of the writings that we have in front of us is it shows us that these are human beings just like we are human beings. They make mistakes just like we make mistakes. We like to throw them off as, oh, St. John and St. Peter, as if there's some elevated level that we will never be able to achieve. However, I can be naked on a boat. John and Peter, (laughs) however, John and Peter, we're no different than you and I are today. And that's the beauty of God's grace, is that his grace spans all of time and comes right directly for us today. I was thinking this week, along the lines of what we're reading right here, there is a huge uh, conversation out there in this world today. We call it karma sometimes. In the Bible, we refer to it as you reap what you sow. And we always look at it as a negative. We always look at it as you reap what you sow, sucker. Like you did me wrong and you're gonna, it's going to come back and it's going to get you in the end. And we talk like that. We say things like that. We're like, ha, 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 you reap what you sow. Or we say, ha, 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 karma. That's why you have this bad thing happen to you. However, what the Bible is referring to when it says you reap what you sow is also a blessing. You reap what, why don't we start looking at it, at that passage of scripture of we reap what we sow as a blessing from God. I have lived such a life that God is blessing me that I can reap what I've sown. I don't understand what it means. If I sow a seed in the ground, Do I only get one apple? If I sow an apple seed in the ground, do I only get one apple? No. How many apples do I get? A lot. Bushels and bushels of apples, right? Uh Uh-huh. And so if I reap what I sow, if I'm sowing God's grace on other people, God's mercy for others, I forgive freely and forgive myself totally. That's like putting a seed in the ground And what is my benefit going to be as a result of sowing that into the ground, sowing that into God's kingdom? The blessings are going to outnumber any bad thing that could ever happen. Am I saying that nothing bad will ever happen to us? No. I'm just saying, what if we reap what we sow and we look at that as a blessing instead of the curse that we're always trying to force on other people? Today, may we recognize God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his blessings on our lives. As we continue throughout this week, may we also grant blessings and kindness and mercy, grace and forgiveness to others. Those that we work with, those that we pass on the street, everyone we come in contact with, let's treat them like Jesus would. Mallory? Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day and that we will trust in God forever and forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.